Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to season two, episode five of the Average Two Elite podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lowe, and today we are joined by my coach, the coach's coach, uh, Mr. Joe Parrish. So what we're looking at today is how to best and maximally develop the hybrid athlete. So on the pod uh, to date, we've had coaches on talking and discussing about uh, how to develop the rugby player the cyclist, the mountain biker, and the combat athlete. And today, like I said, we're going to go into and do a deep dive into the world of the hybrid athlete. So how can we best develop uh, this hybrid athlete from the ground up? What are the key considerations? What are the outcomes we're looking at? And how we can put this in in terms of a yearly long um, athletic development plan in terms of the yearly and weekly periodization that you need to take into account and implement to get incredible results. So there's absolutely huge amounts uh, of information and value we covered today. Um, so without further ado, let's get into today's show. Mr. Joe Parrish, how are we doing, sir? I'm well, Mr. Average to Elite Physique. How are you, sir? Very good, very good. It's been a nice, productive week with training and work and business and everything else in between. So, yeah, thank you very much for your time today on this Saturday morning, a cold Saturday morning. Um, so, how's everything been going with you? What's new in your world with the um, Great European Triathlon? Yeah, all is good. Thank you, dude. I'm currently living in Narnia. Uh, it's been minus 11 here over the last couple of days. So, mate, I have to say it's been very, very cold. No swimming has been performed uh, for a little while, I have to say. But uh, being able to get some good quality bike sessions done. Uh, no running, just because I don't really fancy running in four foot of snow at this present moment in time. So, been uh, adapting those sessions to some assault bike sessions. And then just training in the uh, Scottish engine room. So, uh, dude, all is well. Thank you, my friend. Just plugging away, training away, and uh, looking forward to some to some warmer weather and some Six Nations this afternoon. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And you got the pain cave set up right behind you with what bike or up ready to go. That's it, my friend. I'm not sure what's worse. Listen, you could actually give me your opinion on this. Would you rather go on a what bike or an assault bike? Which one, which, one, which one would be less pleasure? Which, which one offers more pain? Uh, assault bikes, more pain, I reckon. Yeah. I see, I've had a few people that have messaged me saying that they actually believe that a watt bike's worse, but I can't. Uh, yeah, I'm personally with, listen, anybody who's listened to this, like, reach out to me or Chris and let us know what your opinion is, uh, whether you personally, whether you personally uh, hate a watt bike more than a more than a salt bike or an assault bike more than a watt bike, which one offers more pain? I think, mate, that could be a really good poll. <laughs> it's a uh, your salt bike is like a really interesting one. Like your legs get tired, so your arms take over. Then your arms get tired, then your legs take over, and it's just constant like vicious cycle of just constantly being fucked, really. And you just can't maintain any form of work capacity. Where at least with a watt bike, you know what you're kind of dealing with. You know, you got all the data in front of you, and that kind of guides your intensity really well. So yeah, I much prefer um, what bikes, hundred percent. Yeah, I I have to say, mate, I would I would agree with you. I have a love hate relationship with them both, but um, the assault bike is the assault bike is 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 my opinion much much worse, much more deadly, and I think the lactic that you accumulate, especially in the legs, is is horrible. And like you say, then even just uh, upper body arms, just yeah, I think even from a breathing perspective, it's harder to regulate and control um i find that's for sure but yeah mate interesting an interesting an interesting debate the assault bike what bike 
um, pain cave, which is worse? Absolutely. As you know, when I sort of fell off um, the man's bike uh, in last summer and sort of like banged up my knee quite bad, I was just doing upper body assault bike intervals and I was actually brutal. Um, the head just ragdolling around and just looked like an absolute weapon on it. Just yeah. kind of worked in. <laughs> I remember, I remember that, mate. Upper, incredible upper body pump, though. Yeah, great. <laughs> so one bonus of it. <laughs> Yes, mate. No, they're, uh, I say, both both fantastic pieces of kit, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, mate, they are, they're, they're, they're both pretty hefty in terms of, in terms of workload, but uh, phenomenal for progressing and improving, uh, which is, which is epic. And I just love the flow state that you get into it, whereby, yeah, you can't think about anything else other than what you're currently doing, which I think is actually the, the nice thing about it as well, you know, where sometimes weight training, I find that your head goes elsewhere and it's sometimes difficult to stay as focused the entirety, whereas to that you can't not focus on the job in hand at all times. Absolutely. And you uh, clearly have the pleasure of both the what bike, assault bike combo, whatever pain you went to feel today, you got the option of either. Yeah, I, I don't know whether fortunate is the uh, is is the right is the right way. I don't really spend much money, mate. But for some reason, I decided to spend spend, spend the money that I do have on on uh, yeah on two pieces of kit that are going to inflict quite a bit of pain. But listen, mate, I I enjoy it and uh, keeps me out of trouble. So uh, all good. <laughs> Superb. So what I love to do on the pod today is really get into this idea of this hybrid athlete. So I've had previous guests on, we sort of discussed about developing uh, rugby players, uh, combat sport athletes, cyclists, mountain bikers, and obviously this hybrid athlete now is really kind of taken off. And uh, what I just love to do is just kind of peel back the layers and just get a good understanding of perhaps what it is, what the characteristics are, and then how we can develop this throughout the course of like a long-term athletic development, athletic development plan, and then how it breaks down into like weekly periodization and everything like that. So I thought I'd kind of start off with a definition because this kind of just nice guides the conversation nicely. So this is uh, one I found on Juggernaut Training Systems. And it basically says a hybrid athlete is a unique breed who can excel simultaneously in both strength and endurance activities. So it's basically the jack of all trades, but excelling in the jack of all trades, so to speak. And um, I think you are clearly um, going through this process now to a very high level, training for the great European triathlon while still doing a lot of weight training. Um, so when you kind of think about this hybrid athlete, we can just break it down to three pillars, can't we? So the body composition, the strength development, and then the endurance slash cardiovascular development. So what I like to do is just uh, break each one down and uh, just go into a little bit more detail. So first of all, would you kind of agree with that definition? Do you think it's pretty much on point in terms of what you're experiencing and how you're helping clients uh, achieve this goal as well? Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I think it's this ability to be able to train a number of different skills across a number of different systems and that not just kind of purely focusing and putting all of your eggs in one basket, as it were, and now looking at, right, okay, what's the crossover and what are the benefits uh, from, you know, a runner being able to actually now facilitate uh, some more strength-based work uh, and actually now kind of a strength-based athlete or a bodybuilder now actually benefiting from uh, some endurance-based work because, you know, every runner will benefit from um, having more resilience, more strength um, and being kind of a more robust machine and a bodybuilder strength athlete is always going to benefit from having a high degree of work capacity and an ability to be able to facilitate and do more work and recover 
more effectively and more efficiently. So I think I've certainly in the past fallen into this kind of trap of I can only do one in its kind of sole entity and was actually quite close-minded about it uh, in comparison to actually now looking at, right, okay, well, how can these both work in synergy and harmony and actually how can they now complement uh, one another and, and be enjoyable at the same at the same time as well, which is huge. So yeah, I would absolutely agree. A really interesting point you put said there about you almost felt like a little bit closed-minded in terms of you're almost boxed into one way of thinking, I am a bodybuilder, I am an endurance athlete. So what do you think kind of made you think differently in terms of crossing over into two was it perhaps the monotony of just bodybuilding or perhaps the monotony of just perhaps for endurance athletes just doing cycling and running and it's just a very enticing kind of thought of like I can actually do this both and it's like you said that growth-minded approach do what what do you felt was like the trigger and the um think the stimulus there I think it's just kind of experience and failing forward fast. And like for me, when I was when I was bodybuilding four or five years ago now, uh, cardio was seen as like the devil and the only thing that you did when you were kind of getting ready for a show and you were going for a recomposition phase. And then when I did uh, Half Ironman and did the John O'Groat Salan Zen cycle a couple of years back, um, I probably not probably, I know that I didn't actually facilitate and look after myself from an aesthetic perspective to the best of my capacity. And I didn't take that into consideration. Um, and I probably didn't utilize the tools of the, the strength component that I could have to the best of my ability to fundamentally make me a better, more well-rounded athlete. Uh, so I think it's kind of having probably been at both ends of the spectrum and now coming together and thinking, right, okay, like the, 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 the term that I now currently use for myself is like, how am I now building the triathlete physique? Um, I want people to almost now look at me and go, right, okay, yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be a triathlete. Uh, and I still feel kind of uh, confident from an aesthetic perspective in the way in which I look. And I can also still shift um, a good bit of load and a good bit of tin as well in order for me to be able to kind of progress and facilitate uh, from that aspect and that element. And I think, you know, that, that really kind of is what it comes down to is I think it's almost that way, like you have to experience one and then the other or at least one to then be able to facilitate and actually now realize actually how can you now benefit from both and how they can have and serve a purpose and also you know i think it's that enjoyment as well like we talked about with your journey it's like actually you want to be strong you want to be fit you want to look great like why would you just want to potentially be you know really heavily muscular and again there's people that, that do and that's absolutely incredible fantastic but in my experience and, and from my side I was either kind of really big and kind of heavy and maybe 10, 15 kilos heavier than I should have been, but I couldn't walk up the stairs without feeling out of breath. Or on the other side, from an endurance perspective, um, I was really athletically fit, but when I put on the clothes that I would usually feel confident and comfortable putting on, I felt like I could feel the breeze at the sleeve of my t-shirt. Um, and, and again, I didn't. And so from my side, I just wanted to now be kind of like ready for everything, I suppose, maybe a jack of all trades and master of none. Uh, but just looking at, yeah, how can you be fit, athletic, strong, uh, but also now have a body shape that you feel confident with and complements your life and whatever else, you know, you facilitate and do. I really like that um, phrase there, ready for everything. I think it yeah, summarizes it very, very nicely. So when we look at, um, in terms of like building this hybrid athlete, obviously we've got the body composition component and we've got the performance component. 
how would you tend to differentiate the two? Would you perhaps look to say like, right, let's push with body composition first and then have performance as a secondary kind of objective? Or would you flip the other way around? Performance is always number one. That's the primary objective. When we just kind of pull body composition back to the secondary, but we're still slowly chipping away in the background. How would you um, progress with that? Is it very much down to the individual based on where they're at? Uh, what's your kind of perhaps needs analysis around that? I think absolutely it comes down to the individual and fundamentally like how they want to look you know I think that's going to be the the, the the massive component obviously we take like you as an example like we know that you wanted to look fantastic uh, feel fantastic and then perform fantastic you know there are some people that I'm working with that are quite happy with their body comp and they're okay and they're in a good position and do you know what that we can just now facilitate and we can really kind of put the physique side of things to one side and we can just double down on performance because they're happy they're confident the way in which they look currently serves them um and they feel okay with that and so we can just double down on the performance metric side of things but i think if we were to look at it in terms of like the context of chris and kind of when he started out on his journey was thinking right okay um i now want to look great feel great perform great where do i go what do i do and what do we now focus on and i think the primary objective and the primary focus first and foremost, uh, especially with where you've come from and having not done an awful lot, we called, well, I say we, you, 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 you basically <laughs> said to, that we were kind of in anti-sloth mode. I think that was the project for the first couple of weeks, hitting 10,000 steps was, the, uh, was a big tick in the box. But uh, from my side of things, uh, your performance is going to elevate monumentally straight from the get-go anyway, because the reality is if you've not been doing that much work, uh, if we now do something and create a stimulus, we're going to progress, we're going to improve. And if we're now going to look at improving things like recovery capabilities, we've got a strategy, we've got uh, some form of accountability, and uh, we are now um, fueling and nourishing ourselves to the best of our ability, um, even if we are running a bit of an energy deficit, well, again, we're still going to see performance enhancements regardless. So for me, I always look at kind of physique development first, performance second, but that doesn't mean that now performance, we don't care. Like our goal is to still to get as strong as possible and to facilitate and serve performance to the best of our ability. But uh, we know that we cannot maximally do both at the same time. So we have to place a little bit more bias and emphasis on one. The other takes a little bit of a backseat. And then obviously, once we get out of that kind of first phase, we can then place more emphasis on performance. And then second emphasis will still be on physique, but it's more kind of maintenance more so than anything else. So I would always look at body composition, making sure we're still getting as strong as possible, using obviously um, other kind of endurance um, events or uh, kind of sessions to facilitate and enhance and complement. Uh, but our main goal, first and foremost, is to fundamentally get you to that sweet spot whereby you look great, you feel great, and we're still performing well without seeing real diminishing returns in terms of energy recovery, food focus, libido, etc., uh, which then means that you're going to fundamentally, fundamentally struggle with adherence and we're going to probably end up back at square one if we're not careful and we're just going to end up in a pretty uh, shit state in that shit zone, as we would typically like to call it. Absolutely. The, uh, yeah, I think uh, that term, the anti-sloth, is uh, no longer with me, hopefully. Um, but yeah, that was so, so, so apparent. Like when I first started, I felt like I had a good training age and experience, but without the gains and results. It's kind of a weird thing. I've been kind of doing it for a long time. But no, without too much like focus and intent, other than sort of training uh, with weightlifting and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, like literally the start was 
like going from two and a half thousand steps a day up to 10,000. Like my calves are sore, had blisters on my heels. I was absolutely messed just from going for a walk and like just going for like two 30 minute walks a day or two 45 minutes. That was like cardio sessions in itself. Um, so the stimulus didn't actually have to be that big to create some form of beneficial adaptation there. So then we could, yeah, just focus on that slow um, and methodical kind of calorie deficit to chip away body fat until those KPIs, those negative feedback markets really kind of came apparent and start kicking me in the ass a little bit. Yeah, and I think the big thing is, mate, and I spoke to somebody about this the other day, is that um, they, they come from a kind of like previous competitive bodybuilding background. And I think we have this thought process of like deficit equals weakness. Uh, and the leaner you get, the weaker you'll become. And that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, we saw that in we saw that in you, the progress and the performance improvements that we've now currently seen. And yeah, there's going to be a trade-off. There's going to hit that tipping point whereby you're going to start to see diminishing returns. But um, if you're strategizing and planning everything methodically, it's well thought out, recovery capabilities are good. Um, you should be able to progressively get stronger, fitter, and leaner without seeing kind of, comp uh, you know, without compromising um, performance, in my opinion, um, until you hit that kind of, like you say, sweet spot, which we did with you. And we then started to see some negative feedback marks in terms of food focus, recovery, back end of kind of sessions starting to feel a little bit lethargic, readiness to train was lower. Um, and then I think we have to take into consideration, right? Okay, Chris, what's a bigger priority for you right now? Physique development, and you want to continue to push and get even leaner and improve that. But these are going to be the cons and this is going to be the trade-off and the sacrifices that we're going to have to take from a performance perspective. Or are we pretty happy, pretty confident and feeling pretty good with where we are right now? Body composition is in a good, strong, solid place and we're feeling confident with that. And now actually we can A, solidify and then B, progressively build upon that by A, by um, starting to bring you out of that deficit and then really starting to focus on, well, now how can we maximize performance to the best of our ability mainly through nutritional interventions and i'm speaking to the king of performance nutrition um it you know in, or, in order for us then to be able to kind of really elicit that benefit and then body comp can obviously just take that secondary back seat um and then is more of a just kind of a case of maintenance more so than anything else but you tick that box you've given yourself that platform and now you've really elevated the glass ceiling um, and you can then go forth with the performance goals and everything else that you now want to strive to seek in terms of endurance, whatever it might be, speed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm really happy that you said um, two kind of key things there, that we probably can't maximize performance in a calorie deficit, um, but we can definitely offset any sort of compromises within a calorie deficit for sure. And I think the ones who get the best results in terms of their transformation are the, those who can best manage their trade-offs and compromises in terms of their KPIs. And then as soon as like they start to get a little bit more uh, apparent, a little bit more negative in terms of getting into that shit zone, that's when we transition out of it and start looking at maximizing uh, performance whilst, yeah. So. Uh, I let me. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm gonna be the interviewer just now. And <laughs> um, when you're looking at working with the high level, like professional athletes that you work with, and you're thinking about, obviously, uh, okay, we need to improve body composition, but obviously, we don't want to compromise performance. What are the uh, factors that you look at making sure are really dialed in from a kind of nutritional intervention or from a recovery perspective that you make sure that are in place to mitigate those diminishing returns? 
Yeah, so in terms of my uh, KPI, I'll keep forms indicators to get a good understanding of whether a nutrition plan is working or not. Uh, I just use a real straightforward traffic light system. Uh, with every traffic light system, you're going to get a red, i.e. the shit zone, amber, i.e. okay, and then green, we're winning, we're killing it. So scale of one to 10, how do you feel in terms of physical, mental performance, daily freshness, fatigue, your ability to recover? Do you have that spring new step? Do you have muscle soreness? Um, what's your sleep quality like? What's your stress levels like? Libido like? All that kind of stuff. And if things start dropping a little bit too low, I you know, one, two, three, four out of 10, the shit zone, that's when we put a hold on it. I always say like for every issue you have, there's a nutritional intervention. So they just have to make me very aware of it and then we can work around it. Um, so a lot of like athletes will think like, oh, I'm dieting phase. I'm supposed to feel shit. I'm supposed to feel horrible, but it's further from the truth. Like again, the ones who get the best results are the ones who can best manage these trade-offs and uh, compromises. So they're the ones I kind of just make my athletes really aware of. And then if they do feel like this one day, then they just reach out, let them know. Um, then we can kind of put a different intervention in place. Sometimes it's a case of, right, just the portion size is a little bit wrong. Uh, the timing was wrong or just the weekly periodization was wrong. But sometimes it is a case of, yeah, we're just in too much of a calorie deficit here. Let's pull you out. Either A, pull you out of the calorie deficit altogether or just run a little bit of a diet and break, which I know we did um, a, a few times uh, with myself, like it was getting to the point where food focus was pretty high, negative feedback markers towards the back end of the sessions. Um, so it's like, yeah, let's just run a, um, yeah, a die break over the weekend and see how you feel. Whereas a few times it was a case of let's pull you out altogether, but we kind of did it three days and it's like, no, I'm actually fine. I'm ready to keep on going. Yeah. I think it's that readiness. It's that readiness and it's kind of your desire and your willing and want. I think you get some people that they get to a certain level and their head's then not in it as much. Uh, whereas like, which is absolutely a okay. And then you need to do the necessary in order then to facilitate the kind of the next stages, the next steps than, than what's required. But for example, with you, like you say, we got to this point whereby we're like, right, okay, we're struggling again. The, mem the memory always stands out for me is when you went to Cornwall for a couple of days and ate some pasties uh, and then came in a controlled manner and then came back and you were like, actually Joe, like we had anticipated that we were now probably just going to, drive calories up to an estimated set point and you're like listen mate i feel renewed restored whether it was uh, the, the pasties and the food or whether it's actually even just getting away from your environment for a weekend and going elsewhere and not making it that kind of self-applied not being in that self-applied pressured setting that you've been typically in or it's probably a bit of both i'll be honest um for you then to come back and you're like yeah joe listen I, I'm, I'm ready to go again let's now kind of like blast and cruise and let's just now really see where we can get to and i, I believe off the top of my head we got at least another kind of four to six weeks out minimum um whereby actually we were still able just to keep progressing you to that point whereby we're like yeah okay do you know what? no dieting break is now really gonna kind of make any difference um and all we are now going to see if we just keep digging is just going to be diminishing returns which, which is no point i think that just comes down to the relationship that you have with the coach the individual experience i certainly know if it was my first time to why well, if i reflect upon when i did it first and foremost five or six years ago um my awareness and education around that uh wasn't great um so the reality was i didn't have anything to kind of go off so my ability to blast and cruise and be aware of these signs and signals wasn't there uh, whereas now, having done it hundreds of times with hundreds of people and, and obviously working with uh, you who's got 
a wealth of knowledge and you know is at the very top of your game like our ability to communicate and look at those small little metrics and i almost think like it's the tube of toothpaste like how can we squeeze out as much as possible from this phase and with somebody like you we've been able to really squeeze out as much from the the phase because of our relationship the communication the experience um and the knowledge that you have and the awareness that you have around yourself uh which has been like huge cool so once once we've kind of uh, fully squeezed that <laughs> toothpaste tube and there's nothing left, what do you do then? How do you then transition from this fat loss phase into a maintenance or a performance phase? Is there a few different methods you look to adopt? Um, I know I clearly know the one we did because well, we did it. <laughs> but is there other ones? Um, what, what's the kind of thought process around that? Yeah, so exactly, kind of exactly the same. Like again, there's no right or wrong. I think it's going to come down to the individual, and adherence always needs to be number one. It's like right, okay, how can we now make sure that we can first and foremost get adherence dialed in, um, and we can now make sure that appetite, hunger, recovery is in in a good position, in a good place. Now, in our situation, we're able to actually keep you in a deficit for probably six to eight weeks. Uh, off the back of us deciding that we we're going to drive calories up because we did it in a very slow, meticulous manner because your food focus wasn't that high. Your recovery capabilities were pretty good. We were still seeing performance at uh, your KPI lifts going up. Um, and all we actually just now needed to do was just facilitate and just add a touch more food in just to facilitate that kind of um, feeling of hunger and having hollow legs that you now had but we know that you had that level of self-control and that awareness to be able to go yeah joe let's now add 200 calories in on my training days initially on my double days and my single days um and let's now see how i respond and how i feel and basically every few days we can push or we can pull based upon those feedback markers and and in doing so you continue to get leaner uh, your performance continued to elevate as a byproduct. And again, your knee and knee nat will have gone up as a, as a byproduct of having more fuel and more food as well. So, you know, for us, we were able to do it very, very slowly and meticulously. Um, but with others, um, there's a lot to be said for just getting them out of that kind of like down regulatory uh, state, as it were, and putting them back into an estimated set point and an estimated maintenance uh, just to be able to fundamentally offset the diminishing returns that you have of being in an energy deficit for that period of time. Uh, but again, it comes down to the individual. Nine times out of 10, I will take somebody straight back up to an estimated set point. Uh, but there are a select few individuals that I have worked with um, that have been able to do what we've done and what you're able to facilitate unbelievably well um, and just kind of slowly increase food but I think it's because we were so dialed in with our um, feedback markers and you were so aware of how you felt that we were able just to kind of get you on that cusp just before you really started to see those diminishing returns. So actually, do you know what? Like you were cool with adding 200 calories in because food focus wasn't monumentally high. Recovery was still relatively good. Um, and we could now be quite meticulous and slow with that incremental rise, which Mate, we saw your physique. It was just it, like it, the fullness and thickness and the change in composition was was pretty crazy. I know that it's gone. Your Instagram is gone, but you, I know you can see just body body weight pretty much stayed the same, but 
in terms of like, yeah, your fullness, your thickness, your condition, it just seemed, you just seemed to get better and better and better and better and better. And I don't know whether that was just because uh, inflammatory markers came down and obviously recovery capabilities continue to improve and we had a little bit more intramuscular glycogen, but um, yeah, like the composition changes were, were mad. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely fuller, 100% more vascular from the bagels and jam slash honey toppings as well. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Always a good thing. Um, I really like the fact that you said there that there's perhaps no right or wrong way to kind of get out of this calorie deficit, um, whether it's a reverse diet or perhaps a recovery diet. There's loads of debate and arguments. And to be honest, it doesn't really matter too much as long as it fits the personal preferences of that individual. For I really like the approach we took. Like I said, my food focus was manageable and I can actually increase food, increase performance, increase recovery, increase fullness while still being in a deficit, while still dropping body fat. So it's absolutely great. And then I really like the fact that you said they're the theoretical kind of maintenance as well, um, because we know like formulas and stuff, they can just an estimated starting point, really. Like in terms of my, perhaps my estimated maintenance intake for perhaps a double training day, we probably look about 3000 calories where my true maintenance is probably about between 3,600 and 3,900 calories, somewhere about there, just because I know that my metabolism, my metabolism will speed up to preserve leanness. This spendthrift um, genotype to metabolism will do that, where others just won't perhaps have that same response. Um, so it's really interesting, like the difference, the difference between theoretical and true, 100%. Yeah, I think big, big thing for me that like always stands out and I don't know where this came from because I certainly don't think it was me that had the, yeah, the, the, the kind of wisdom to be able to come up with this. I must have taken it from somewhere, but I don't know who to reference because I can't remember. But it was this whole thought process of like, you have to coach the person, not the process. Because the process is A to B, but fundamentally, as we know, there's going to be barriers, challenges, hurdles that we have to face um, along the way. And there's so many different factors that can influence and impact somebody's adherence, somebody's progression, like there's, there's so many different considerations we have to take into account. So I think from a, like a coaching perspective, whether that's now yourself coaching yourself or whether you're now a coach and coaching others um, or you're working with a coach, it's always this thought process of, right, I need to yeah, coach the person and not the process. Um, and I need to be growth minded and flexible and dynamic uh, and not kind of fixed minded. And this is how it needs to be because X person has done it that way or whatever, or this is what this piece of literature or whatever says. Um, and I think that's kind of a, a big kind of lesson. And one thing that stands out in the front of my mind, every single time that I now coach an individual um, is always, yeah, person, person over process is, is key. hundred percent. And that's what like evidence-based practice is really like you're looking at the research, you're looking at your previous experiences and then how is it going to facilitate the progression of the person? So it's kind of like looking at the two things and combine them together. It isn't just like, right, this is how we're doing it. And let's forget about everything else because uh, this is the process. So yeah, I absolutely love that. That's cool. So we kind of um, looked at increasing calories. Where is the tipping point for you? Where do we feel like, okay, for me, for example, best day is 2,600. Single train day is 3,200. And a double train day is 3,900. Granted, I am training in my kitchen, which I'm especially <laughs> one meter squared. I don't do any kind of movement other than just up and down. Um, so where's the kind of tipping point uh, for you? Is there any kind of marks you kind of go off in terms of where do we stop introducing calories? Because I know some people would just think like, 
oh, I'm just going to keep on increasing calories, increasing calories and get this kind of food focus from the other side of it, like food reward, where it's like, oh, I just want to keep on eating. And then it's self-justifies like, oh, I'm in a performance phase. I'm going to keep on eating. So what kind of markers do you look at there? <clears throat> uh, that's an awesome question, dude. And listen, we cannot um, speak negatively about that anabolic kitchen because it's, <laughs> mate, it's, it's a serious, it's a seriously, I mean, it's performance enhancing, I've heard, uh, in that environment. <laughs> I think a couple of things to take into account. Um, quantity over quality. So like you say, body weight is now starting to go up and actually we're not seeing uh, positive compositional changes. We're just starting to see body fat creep on um, at quite an accelerated rate. Now that's going to be individual and dependent upon the, again, circumstances and that individual that I don't believe there's kind of like any right or wrong. Uh, but I think first things first is like, yeah, knowing that quantity of weight um, is probably now cumulative more through fat mass than anything else. That's obviously no way that probably you're, you kind of, we're over fueling and overfeeding. Um, I think second thing is that when we're not seeing any positive benefits from adding any more food in, and if anything, it now maybe psychologically can become a little bit of an inconvenience and can become a kind of time intensive task that can almost be detrimental because of either like a digestive load. I remember when I was uh, bodybuilding, I was trying to put like four or 5,000 calories away back in the day. And I just constantly felt lethargic. I actually used to put my um, higher days on my rest days because I felt as though that on my training days, I was trying to eat so much food that I just felt that from a, a digestive load perspective and from an energy perspective and from a lethargy perspective, I almost felt like it didn't enhance me in any way, shape or form. I actually felt worse. So I used to almost put my bigger days on my rest days. And then actually I'd have my smaller feeding days on my kind of um, on my lower trade on my, you know, on my training days, because I felt as though I performed better uh, from a cognitive perspective, especially from, from that perspective. So I think when you're looking at it, right. Okay. Am I just now adding in more food, but I'm not seeing any kind of benefits or additional benefits from doing so. And I think your, your logbook will tell you everything that you need to know whether that's now obviously, um, you know, whether that's through kind of uh, time and distance with running, cycling, swimming, whatever it's going to be, uh, or whether that's now obviously in, in the gym and your numbers going up. Um, we have this kind of sweet spot that I do believe that you will hit more very much like the kind of sweet spot in a deficit. I do believe you'll hit this kind of sweet spot whereby, yeah, adding in any more doesn't lead to greater gains or greater benefits um, and I just think, again, that's just trial and error. And I actually also believe as well, like, you know, you've asked me several times, like, Joe, like, how far do you think we're going to push? How far do you think we're going to go? And it's sometimes just like, we, we're almost going to have to get to the point where we start to see a bit like the way down some diminishing returns for us to go right. Okay. That's the sweet spot. Um, in order for, so I think sometimes when we people are hesitant because they, they think if they get that, then that's bad. Well, actually, do you know what you get if you experience that and you feel that and you know that that's great because you now know where the line is and where you need to push and where you need to pull. Um, and I think that's probably, yeah, the best way that I can explain that if that makes sense. Yeah, very good. Yeah. So basically, when you go to either extreme, yeah. you're going to experience compromises and trade-offs. And mostly it is going to be surrounding performance and food focus. I know for myself, I'm not at the moment, I'm still horsing down almost 4,000 calories quite easy. Sometimes get a little bit um, stuck with that if the timing is a little bit wrong and I haven't been overly proactive with my planning for the day. And especially if I've got to run in the, after, in the evening or something and I'm having, like, say, for example, last weekend, uh, 
put down about 2,000 calories before watching the rugby. And then sort of, um, yeah, about 90 to 100 minutes later, went out for a run and it did not sit well. <laughs> it was not good. So yeah, you can run into a little bit like that. But yeah, I completely agree with you in terms of just pushing up, experiencing it. And then, you know, with that fine line is, okay, that's where we're experiencing diminishing returns. Let's just pull back uh, one step. So that's absolutely awesome. It's, and it's, it's goal orientated as well. You know, you've obviously got considerations around like power to weight ratio, et cetera. And obviously you've got considerations that you need to make and you need to take from that. So again, it's ultimately going to come down to what is your, what is the outcome? You know, what are you working towards and what is, what, what is the goal fundamentally? I think that also will play, will play a role because like, I know maybe you'll be able to speak from experience having worked with some rugby players um, that obviously, you know, the, if, if they drop too much body weight, and come down a little touch too much and actually uh, they might look good uh but that's now going to compromise performance power strength etc um and is going to then negatively impact what happens on the pitch um and so actually therefore from a from a kind of development side of things actually do you know what on as an example on the way back up i'm sure you'll be able to kind of exp- explore that actually getting them to put on a few kilos uh, it's probably get at a quite at a slightly quicker rate than maybe what I would do for myself may potentially be more advantageous because of the desired outcome that we're looking to accomplish and achieve relative to the sport that you're playing. Yeah, everything's sport specific, isn't it? Um, like if you look at rugby players, for example, there's kind of three areas you need to look at. Yes, their power to weight ratio, their momentum profile, which is their speed times mass. So when they run into people. If they run faster and they're heavier, then they create more damage, essentially. And then their overall robustness, um, can they withstand that contact as well? So it's always going to be sport-specific, uh, 100%. So I think we kind of um, ticked off the body composition side quite nicely, surrounding the calorie intake. So obviously trying to build muscle and develop cardiovascular endurance at the same time sometimes can be pretty difficult. So how would you, how do you approach that? I think... This is a kind of it depends answer because it depends upon, again, like what are your KPIs, what are your metrics and what are the goals that you're working towards? I think that's a really important thing to, to kind of distinguish first and foremost. Uh, but then kind of before we look at going really kind of narrow and deep and being more specific, I think fundamentally it's about making sure that you're now really building um, a good base, a good foundation both in strength and also in, in endurance and not only from like a work capacity perspective, but also from like a skill acquisition perspective, because as we know, like lifting weights, isn't just a case of a to B um, and also kind of running, isn't just about putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, and the same with kind of bike work as well. And certainly for me, I've learned the hard way. I've only got my Frosties badge from when I was about 10 from my swimming. Um, but listen, you can swim and you can swim and you can swim and it's, quite frankly shit it doesn't get any easier um and you're like man why is this not getting easier but that's because from an efficiency perspective your breathing's out your stroke rate's out from a technical component it's it's terrible and yeah you can then obviously add more mileage and you can add more distance and more time but from a technical perspective if that's not aligned and that's not in place then okay maybe over the short term you might be able to get away with it but over the long term, so for example, with me swimming the English Channel, like I know right now, although I'm not swimming in minus 11 conditions, some people might say that um, that's that I'm, I'm being a pussy, but um, I probably am. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be honest. I'd rather you survive. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it comes back down to that thought process. So right now, it's not necessarily 
for me about like the distance swam. It's more about the technicality and the skill that's going into that more so than anything else is going to be the bigger proponent because right now, could I go out and swim a couple of K or a few miles? Yeah. But what happens when, um, lethargy starts to kick in, you know, fatigue starts to set in. Uh, and now I start to do five, 10, 15 miles, or potentially I'm not now swimming 21 miles. I've actually got to swim 30 miles because I've gone the wrong way or the tide's not played in my favor. Like, have I now got the efficiency and the technical, you know, the technical competency and the skill acquisition to be as efficient as possible so I can utilize fuel to my greatest ability um, and I can make it fundamentally as easy as possible for me? Um, and I think also a big component here as well is like, like injury prevention. I know both me and you are going for a similar thought, pro, a similar principle at this, moment, at this current moment in time with regards to running. Um, and both now starting to do a lot more mobility and a lot more movement um, out with these training sessions and we're becoming hashtag swollen flexi. Um, and, and therefore actually like my cadence and my gait mechanics is actually almost altered and changed and I've been getting a bit of calf pain. I know that you've had a very, very similar thing and it's like, right, okay, well, right now we need to continue to refine the internal dialogue um, and improve the technical competency and really make sure that that's right first. And you've got a good quality base before then we go, right. Okay. Well, let's just now go and run more and more and more and more and more because yeah, you get, you get away with it short term, but long term you won't. So I think build a foundation, build a base uh, across strength and endurance is uh, of course going to be important. But then I also believe that the first phase and the first foundation should always be built upon much like you do when you're in the gym, internal effort, and execution is king and being as efficient as possible and being as aware as possible, um, I think is going to be the most important thing because when you're looking at training a number of different modalities, obviously the um, cost of that is going to be pretty high in terms of stress and output. So we now want to be able to kind of like offset and mitigate that as much as possible by obviously being as efficient as possible which is going to be the primary focus, the primary objective. Once you've got that in found, once you've got those foundations in place, then it's a case of, right, okay, well, now what are our metrics and what are our goals and what are our KPIs and how can we now make sure that, you know, our training sessions and the modalities centered around those components and everything else is then an accessory and complements. And then we need to look at, is this work required or am I just doing this as, and it's just fluff and it's just additional kind of quote unquote junk volume that I'm just doing for the, you know, for the sake of it. And it doesn't actually need to be done because it's not giving me any ROI uh, that's going to be beneficial unless you're doing bicep curls, which are really important for, for, tri for, 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 for triathletes. Cause that is my crit. That is, that is my coach is just like uh, at this moment in time, uh, he'll, uh, I'll, I'll basically only agree to do anything calf orientated if I can superset it with a curl. So uh, that's, that's the trade, that's the trade off that we have. So, and again, I think there's an important component on that and I'm going on a tangent, so I apologize, but it's just like enjoyment is also a huge factor. You know, and I think that's the big thing. You've got to do the, okay, it might potentially be a little bit fluffy, uh, but if it's enjoyable and you look forward to it, uh, then yeah, it needs to also be inclusive. Otherwise, what are you, what it, what and why are you doing this, you know? Absolutely. So yeah, absolutely. Loads of information there. So um, I think we can almost like summarize the first bit then as in terms of this baseline, it could be split into two parts. So establishing the baseline is part A, 
working on body composition, make sure we give that a good tick and that's in a really solid position. Then part B kind of ties in with part A, I guess, but perhaps a little bit more progressively in terms of establishing this foundation in terms of execution of skill, which is going to be, again, sport specific. So are you uh, doing your triathlons? Am I doing my mountain biking? What is it uh, that we need to work on? And then once we've got a really solid foundation, body composition is in a good place, calories are in a good place, KPIs are great, and we got some a good level of fitness and strength, then we could be really sport specific again and perhaps just push in areas that take highest priorities. So for example, it could be a case of if your endurance is really good, but you're weak as a kitten, maybe let's pull down on the endurance, do more strength. And then vice versa, would you kind of take that approach? Yeah, absolutely. So it's just about looking at what's going to be the main focus and then kind of what's going to be the background work to be able to facilitate that. So it's almost just like a bit of a push and a pull. It's even looking at like even strength KPIs as well. Like the more experienced and the more advanced you become, obviously the, the ability to train and operate at higher intensities is greater. So let's say, for example, now I'm like, right, okay, I want to, inc- I want to improve my deadlift, squat and bench, like doing all three of those, like when you're kind of like a newbie or up to a point, you're going to be able to progress and progress and progress and progress and progress. But um, then it's going to come down to right. Okay. Well now um, where is my area of focus? Do I now want to center my attention and my energy um, around improving my bench, improving my squat, improving my dead. Um, And one of those will then need to take the priority more so um and then the 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 other two have to almost take a step back and then the accessory work that comes around that then needs to complement as an example that deadlift movement and then obviously the um accessory movements that you would then look at from a sport specificity perspective whether that's now going to be running cycling swimming whatever it's going to you know whatever it's going to be to then make sure that now complements that side as well so um, I think it's just about knowing when to push and when to pull and looking at the amount of systemic stress that we're placing on our body um, and taking into account, right, okay, well, where is my area of focus right now? How do I then pull and bring everything else in to complement? Um, and how am I now making sure that I have an ability to adequately recover from the work that I'm now doing competently so I can continue to progress? because it's going to be that kind of train hard, recover harder ethos that we need to look at. So just kind of thinking, I'm just going to do more of everything. You can up to a point and you will make progress up to a point, but then you're just going to hit a glass ceiling. And then it's going to be your ability to be kind of far more specific in nature um, and dialing your efforts and training uh, periodization to accommodate and facilitate that. Um, and you're just going to work in kind of synergy and, and know when to push and when to pull in accordance. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I love um, these like individualized athletic development plans. So whether it's a 12 month plan, 24 month plan, you know, you name it. Um, so just start, like saying, start with the end in mind. What does that end goal look like? What does the ideal look like? Where's our strengths? Where's our weaknesses? What do we need to sort of um, progress and program accordingly then? So Knowing uh, knowing that, how, say, for example, if you just work off like a 12-month model, would you typically work on like, say, 30-day goals, 60, 90? How do you kind of perhaps just plan the year? In So use yourself for an example based on where we are now. Uh, obviously, we got a little bit longer than sort of 12 months uh, to the Great European Triathlon. How is your training sort of broken down into perhaps 30, 60, 90-day kind of goals or how are you operating with this? 
Yeah, so like the the guy that's currently coaching me is a guy called Dan Reeve. Um, if anybody's listening, I highly recommend that you go and check him out. He is a world class um, guy, first and foremost, and an incredible coach himself. Uh, he is, I believe, one of the very few people that's done a Decca Ironman, um, which is pretty crazy. Uh, he does snow races. I mean, he just does. He was at the snow races. He is a, a, again. A, definitely again why, why, why i've hired him because he's the definition of a hybrid athlete i think he was the under 80 kilo strongman uh natural champion i don't know whether it was uk or regional um but yeah done decker ironman snow races all sorts you name it, you you know he, he's kind of done it um and the way in which he kind of he's got me uh training at the moment is we basically kind of set some kind of little uh mini targets so the first end of the end of the first 90 day block was going to be uh, an Olympic try. The end of the second 90 day block was going to be a half Ironman in training. And then obviously the end of the next 90 day block, I believe, is then going to be an Ironman. Um, and then off the back of that, um, I believe he might be looking at some even more weird and wonderful stuff that's going to be looking at doing things back to back. Um, and uh, and things will explore from there so uh, at the moment my program is pretty much broken down into kind of like these 90-day segments with obviously like a testing period at the end um so that's kind of the main the main focus strength training wise at the moment um it's obviously once again looking at obviously what are these kind of main key core movements that i'm wanting to progress but then fundamentally looking at what are then going to be the movement patterns that are going to help me from a uh, injury preventation perspective uh, and then also from like a skill acquisition, how does that carry over into the bike swim run? Um, and then he, so at the moment I've got two kind of aligned SNC sessions. Uh, and then I have one flexi Joe do what you want, which basically involves chest delts, uh, arms, um, and just pretty much headphones in, create as much metabolic stress and create as you know, much cellular swelling as possible and just feel good. And I think again, like, the hybrid athlete, there's no real definition of you need to do X and, and Y. Um, and, and if I started to see diminishing returns with my performance in either my other sessions, my weight sessions or my endurance sessions, I would, my, the first port of call would be to pull back on that kind of Joe bro session, should we call it the triathlete physique session. Um, and that would be my first, because I would be like, okay, recovery needs to be priority and, and primary number one. But whilst at the moment, um, I can facilitate that work and I'm progressing that can that's fine there's nothing wrong with that um, and I just think again it's just going to be that kind of refinement as we uh, as, as we go through so that's kind of how my structure kind of looks at the moment uh, endurance sessions are varying obviously in tempos and, and training zones um, and yeah I think this finding the balance between doing the work and doing the necessary and you've got to be monotonous and some of it's got to be mundane and boring uh, but then also having these shorter term little kind of metrics, targets and goals and having this element of enjoyment to keep you moving forwards as well. So you can have, have the both. Because if it always sucks, then listen, I'm, I'm, I'm good at suffering, but it needs to complement my life and my headspace and every other aspect of life. Yeah, very true. Very true. So one of the things you mentioned there is uh, how important the recovery element of it all is. Also, you're training through different modalities like if you think about it triathlons are three different sports and then you brought in a lot of weight training and strength work as well and you're naturally going to get some form of splash between sessions so how can you perhaps minimize that splash and or how can we just further enhance recovery is there anything specifically you do to improve recovery i know you mentioned one which i'm doing now on a daily basis which i'm 
yeah, finding very, very uh, beneficial. Uh, hashtag no affiliation here. Um, <laughs> but how, how um, what, what, what do you do to improve recovery? What do you feel that works well for you and from your experience working with clients? Anything that's perhaps uh, been overly beneficial that stands out the most? I think you have to look at first and foremost, you have to almost fail forward fast. So you have to find out what works and what doesn't work where with regards to obviously like training sessions, training times, when do you feel like you're performing at your absolute very best? And then how can you make sure that that obviously goes into your diary and your schedule as a, like a non-negotiable. Um, so from, like I say, a, a day and time perspective, how does that facilitate in working with your life schedule? Uh, and of course, often um, that can't be optimal. Uh, you know, because we've got other things that we have to take into account, like family, business, career, job, etc. Uh, but how can you now make sure that you can facilitate that to the best of your ability? I believe that's going to be an important consideration that we need to make. Secondly, uh, is of course going to be performance nutrition. One of the biggest mistakes that I made when I did the half Ironman and um, the UK John O'Groats Land's End cycle was I. I know that I didn't actually look after my nutritional interventions to the best of my ability um, and didn't make it enough of a priority. Uh, so again, just making sure that again, you are the king of performance nutrition. So uh, just making sure that from a, a kind of nutritional strategy perspective, that's well looked after. And we're not just now eating calories, uh, but we're actually eating food. Um, I think it's also an important consideration because it can be easy just to fall into that trap of like, I just need to eat anything and everything uh, instead of actually now thinking about, well, health first and also how can I nourish, um, which is going to be important. And then I think two other components is going to be sleep hygiene and making sure the sleep is to the best of your ability. Um, and then I think final thing is just being proactive with recovery. Uh, so like one non-negotiable for me is like I have a physio session every single week not because there's a problem but just because i want to be proactive and i want to stay on top of it and sometimes i go and i'm like i don't need this but it's important for me to go and just stay on top of things and even if it's just an hour whereby i can stick my head in a bed um i can't use my phone and i'm just getting worked on and you know i get gives me the opportunity to focus on my breathing uh, and obviously again gives me a little bit more of a, an understanding internally where and how i'm feeling then that's really really powerful instead of me in the past whereby i'd wait until there was an issue and then i would go to the physio or go to whoever um and ask them to fix it within a session which would never happen of course because these things don't happen overnight and then that would obviously impact recovery impact my training intensity impact my mindset moving forward so that's an absolute non-negotiable that's been huge for me and then like we discussed the romward side of things just actually stretching and mobilizing and doing the bits that uh, we typically don't well i certainly know that i, I i've been poor at even when i used to play you know high level football um it'd be the thing that you'd always neglect um and i think yeah you can only kick the can down the road for so long um until you have to address the problem or uh, to make sure that obviously you've got longevity most importantly there's nothing worse than being injured um you know both physiologically and psychologically is, is probably psychologically more challenging so just doing whatever you can and think about how that complements your life is going to be monumentally important because i'll still want to be able to do this in 40, 50, well, I think I'll still want to be doing this in 40, 50 years, 40 to 50 years time anyway. So there would just be a kind of few things that I, I look at um, that are kind of like the core pillars, I suppose. And then there's obviously intricacies that you can go into with each one of those. Yeah, superb. 
like they say, like an athlete's greatest ability is the availability. And, you know, if you, if you can't turn up to the sessions, you can't do the work, then you're just not going to progress or succeed when compared to someone else who's in the same position as you. And like I said, the mental components, like obviously I work within like professional sport and stuff. And as soon as the boys get injured, like it's just, it sucks. It, you just lose all momentum and there's this big rebuild, weeks and months are lost. And then you kind of go again. But if we kind of mitigate that or minimize the risk of getting injured uh, through proper self-care and everything, then possibly you're going to get a better and more prosperous kind of sporting career and better athletic development as well. So yeah, that's a really nice touch point there. I think it's about just taking 100% ownership and responsibility and you being able to look at yourself and going, yep, yeah, I know that I've done everything that I possibly could. Sometimes again, like injuries are going to happen and they're going to occur. Like we talked, we look at you with uh, mountain biking and, you know, kind of slicing your knee open. You can't plan and prepare for those situations, you know, and um, Drink for the corner. <laughs> that might benefit that actually yeah maybe yeah. it could have been prevented but um you know there are always gonna when you when you're operating at this level and you're moving this human performance needle there are always going to be injuries and challenges and setbacks i've almost kind of like in my mind accepted and i had this conversation with mark the guy that i'm doing the great euro try with but the reality is probably over the next 18 months i'm always going to be training or performing with some type of niggle or pain or ache or injury to some degree um and I think for me, it's just like knowing in my mind that in the past, like I've always felt when I've got injured, like I've been frustrated at myself because I know that I could have put more preventative measures in place and I haven't done what I said I was going to do or, or what I knew I needed to do. Whereas at least I know now, right, okay, well, Joe, you're doing your, your kind of, you're getting your TLC every single week. Um, you're doing your mobility, wrong word, your sleep well looked after, you're managing your food. Like if I now get injured, um, and something happens, well, at least I can look at myself in the mirror and go, right, okay, well, at least I have had the, the measures in place to put myself in the best possible position to prevent that. And if that happens, that happens, cool. I have to deal with it the way in which I deal with it. Um, and I know that those measures that I've already got in place will still enhance my recovery process in doing so anyway. Um, and I just think it's about like knowing in your heart of hearts that you've done the very best that you could to prevent that, sometimes there's going to be things that are completely out with your control and will happen. Like I tore my hamstring two months ago, running up a hill. Um, and again, in what could realistically, as long as I look back and reflect and ask myself, what could I have done better? Then I just have to move forwards and get on with it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Control controllables. And then, yeah, at least there's nothing left on the table. So cool. So I think that's been a very uh, productive conversation. I think we covered quite a lot there in terms of how to best develop this uh, hybrid athlete. So in terms of not just uh, in terms of the hybrid athlete, for any athlete or any individual, how can they go from average to elite? Is there like a top three um, checklist that you feel they need to be implementing on a daily basis to move the needle and to continually improve let me flip i'm going to flip the switch i'm going to ask you first because you, you this is the average to elite podcast um and you are now the definite we called your journey the average to elite physique so uh, in your mind what made what what have been the kind of three non-negotiables or the three things that have really allowed you to go from feeling average to now operating and absolutely 100 percent performing on an elite level a really big thing for me, first and foremost, was just the discipline side of things. 
So it's probably more so everything's around like the mindset shift. So just discipline, like like you mentioned earlier, is just putting the your daily non-negotiables, the things that you feel is going to be really important to you in your diary first and then build everything else around that. So I'll stick in like my training in first. When I build my diary for the week, that means uh, I put my training in first, my walks, my meal prep when I'm eating. So I put all these like high value kind of tasks in first and then I just build and saturate my diary around that then. So for me, like the process is just so important being very disciplined to that process, not necessarily doing anything more or nothing less, just doing essentially what I'm told to do. Um, you know, that's why I essentially have hired you as a coach. Yes, to hold me to a higher standard, but to give me that roadmap and I got full faith and buying into that roadmap. So for me, it's just, just doing it, just putting in the work. Um, one of the quotes you said is like, do what you said you do. And I've actually got it written on my whiteboard there. Look at it every day. It's like, right, this is what I said I'm going to do for the week when I check in with you and I'm planning out the week ahead. What does a sec- successful week look like? And I need to do this, this, and this. And if I report back to you in a week time, I haven't done it. And there's no reason why I haven't done it. Then I'm going to look like an asshole and I'm going to feel like a failure. So do what you said you do is a big thing uh, for me. And that just comes in with the daily level of discipline. Um, so that being one, <laughs> really difficult questions. Um, and just doing, not, not doing too much too fast, I feel just slowly building up. So in terms of like the anabolic kitchen sessions, for example, uh, when I first come back to training there in lockdown three post having COVID, my performance was absolutely horrendous. Uh, I was doing like sort of sets of three and four pull-ups, like hitting fairly, just nothing there. So what I did was just kind of pull things back and just build one rep in every single week. Just really simple. Um, like there's nothing groundbreaking, but the difference is pretty much adding in 10 reps to my pull-ups over the course of 10 weeks over multiple sets and the overall training volume loads increased is progressively overloading. And, you know, I'm just getting through more work. So just doing it slow consistently, but being consistent with that, obviously. So you see a nice progression on a weekly basis. So you're not doing too much, getting too much kind of overwhelmed, burning out, in picking up injuries. And therefore you have to miss maybe one to two weeks of training and then just build back up again because again it's just not going to be conducive for this uh long-term goal and probably the last one for me um is just having more of an appreciation with sleep um so we all know how important sleep is and the sleep hygiene surrounding that but there's two areas where i found that sleep really negatively affected my performance and my life essentially one when i was being in the big calorie deficit um, I've almost just had like just very fragmented sleep. My sleep on set latency, so time taken for sleep was poor, duration was poor, quality. Um, so yeah, everything was just terrible from sleep and just affected me both physically and mentally the next day. So that's just like a KPI and a warning sign. So if I go into that again, I just be more aware of that. Then the second time it really affected me was before Christmas, where we pretty much didn't have a deload for quite a long time and definitely was experiencing like functional overreaching. And a component of that is going to be um, very poor sleep quality. You have this huge, like, uh, increase in sympathetic drive, this fight or flight is just always on. And you can have fragmented sleep as well then. And it's quite paradoxical in nature, really. You almost think like, the more fatigued and the more fucked I am, the body makes me try and sleep more to recover, but it's a complete opposite. So those, that is a really, really important thing for me. So make sure my sleep is actually on point, progressively overloaded on a weekly basis, not going too extreme, just like incrementally adding it in, and then just being really disciplined and consistent to the process. 
and just do it for a long period of time. And four, hire a coach to take the uh, guesswork from you and hold you to a higher standard. Superb, dude. Absolutely love that, mate. I couldn't agree more with everything that you just said. I think it's like, for me quickly, it's make a commitment, make a choice, make the decision in your mind. Once you've made that commitment, you've made that choice, lean in then do what you said you were going to do fundamentally. Uh, but it has to now, like you have to wholeheartedly believe in what you're doing. And it's not a kind of like, I should do this. It's now I must do this uh, because this is the commitment that you've now made. And again, how can you now align that to thoughts beyond yourself? Like we obviously all have like these selfish desires and needs and wants, but above and beyond that, those deficiency needs, what are you doing it for? Like what, what is the purpose of all of this? Um, and what kind of like selfless means does this have with regards to why you're now doing what you're doing? Whether that's now inspiring and motivating other people to take part in their own personal journey, whatever it might potentially be, whether it's for the family, the kids, um, whether it's to raise money for an incredible cause, uh, whether it's maybe like in my instance, a lot of what I do is because I want to be able to um, do it in alignment with my like my my business and my brand and I want people to be able to now realize that it is possible that they can be a high performing coach. They can be a high performing athlete and they also can be a high performing person um, as a parent, as a partner, you know, as a friend. Um, and I then think other thing for me is like be growth minded. Don't be closed minded like me for so long, whereby I was just focused on like, it has to be this way and I have to do it like this. Um, it's being growth minded and being open to explore exploration and seeing where this is now going to take you be okay with being shit at something like when i first started swimming lessons or air swimming lessons and there was i, I won't forget it mate i was <laughs> the, the guy the guy was making me walk up and down the pool put my head in and out of the water so i could practice breathing and all i just remember was seeing this like seven-year-old butterfly past me <laughs> as, as like this full-grown man in a 25 meter pool was dunking his head in and out of the water and at that moment i just thought <laughs> Like, yeah. And again, it's like just that, yeah, being okay with being shit at something and just being a student. And I think what that teaches you and, and what you learn from that is so, 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 so powerful. Um, and then I think um, final thing for me is just you've got to live, love, breathe, and most importantly, enjoy the process. Otherwise, why are you doing all of this? You know, and I think it's your ability just to have that fire in the belly. Like there's so many people that, Maybe listen to this podcast right now that used to play competitive sport. Or maybe do play competitive sport just now, which is epic. Um, and maybe there's a fear of like maybe retiring or whatever. I know when I kind of came away from um, my kind of professional footballing dream, having played full time for two years, like I almost just felt lost. And like I lacked a fire in my belly and I just lacked a kind of purpose. And it's just about, right, okay, how can you now find that fire in the belly again? And how can you now utilize and capitalize on all the experiences and the tools and the resilience and your competitive nature and your competitive edge to now harness that into something new that's going to allow you to progress, be challenged, and again, enjoy that growth and enjoy that journey and fucking love it. Because the reality is, mate, if you don't, then yeah, why, why are you doing, why are you doing this? So that would kind of be my thought process. And then have an environment that lifts you up, elevates you. You have other people around you that are, you know, doing phenomenal things in their own realm and are, are you know, in their own kind of um, way and in their own sport, whatever it might potentially be. And just 
lean into that because it just now makes you realize what's truly possible and the standards that they now set will just radiate into you and your life and what you believe is going to be possible and you can accomplish and achieve will be far, far greater and far, far superior if you have a small group of like-minded individuals that are on that same or similar pursuit um, as you. I just think it allows you to raise standards and do more, be more and achieve more. Superb. And I think that is an incredible way to finish the show today. Amazing. Joe, I absolutely value your expertise and knowledge shared with us today really appreciate that um so we can people follow you and find out more about you and you do have a podcast three episodes in two episodes in three episodes yeah three, three, ep- three episodes i may need to record the fourth this weekend um so yeah the high performance coach podcast uh, is now available uh spotify apple i believe um and then also joe parish the coach's coach on instagram and you'll be able to see just loads of photos of me in a lake lock river sea um in my wetsuit so uh so yeah that's that's pretty much all it seems to all it seems to be is the guy that's documenting our journey for us for the great euro try we it just seems to send me over just hundreds and hundreds of photos of me of me of me in it of me in a wetsuit um yeah looking pretty chilly outstanding joe again thank you very much i really appreciate your time here have a fantastic weekend and um i'm sure we'll have you back on the pod very soon with mark talking about how the great european triathlon is progressing for you both thank you dude i appreciate you it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you so much for having me on cheers dude